it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. That's right. It's uh, Brian Kilmeade coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, the home of St. Patrick's Day. I believe the biggest uh, St. Patrick's Day parade in the entire world uh, on Fifth Avenue, starting in a couple of hours on 44th Street to 79th Street. There's going to be about 2 million spectators, 150,000 participants, and it's going to be fun. And you know what? You can't take it for granted. We used to say that it happens every year. What's the big deal? Well, after the pandemic, when you held it up for two years and all these limitations, you have everyone really, I get the sense, really appreciates the opportunity to have fun again. The city is teeming with people. So we have a lot to discuss today. The president's going to be meeting with his counterpart over in Ireland. You'll have a chance to shout a few questions. That's all the president will make time for, which to me is unacceptable. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. So there was a lot of money that transferred from China to the Bidens. And what we want to know is what did China get in return? Because I don't think China would would spend this much money on this many different members of the Biden family. Right. Yeah. What exactly do they do? Uh, Biden's file on files unearthed. Bank records show Biden's. A lot of them get millions from China. The question is, what exactly are the services they're providing for a Chinese energy company? For example, a school teacher, Haley Biden, on the payroll to do what? Number two. Silicon Valley Bank Financial, the overall parent, has now commenced its Chapter 11 filing. So it's gone bankrupt. Unethical and despicable. That's how I describe the revelations that executives and, and that uh, and two failing banks cashed in before the bottom fell out. Shareholders, investors, depositors are left to pick up the pieces while they vacation in luxury. Number one. I have faith in the American people. At the end of the day, the majority of the American people will understand that U.S. interests are at stake here. If we don't defeat the Russian army in Ukraine, we're going to have to put more troops in Europe, more capacity in Europe to deal with it. We are uh, worth fighting for. The mission of Ukraine to oust the Russians is in America's best interest. Yep. Uh, uh, strict accounting of all material. Yes. Replenish our weapon stocks. Yes. Timetable. Yes. But Russia wants us displaced and a plan on team plan on teaming up China to make it happen. Ukraine stands in their way. Get them what they need. And I got to give the polls credit. They said uh, we're giving a mix. We're tired of waiting for America's green light. We got some extras. Two would legitimately need to be fixed. But you know how to fly them already. So take the mix. Take the 1980s version of MiGs and best of luck. Get them tanks. They don't have enough. They have about 150. They need 300. But they're still ready to go. They're still determined to fight off the Russians, who are now down to recruiting female women prisoners. And that Wagner group has been virtually wiped out. They're they're doing a massive recruiting effort inside that beleaguered nation. So we still don't have answers on whether it was intentional or not, or whether Russia is ever going to account for and apologize for and actually pay for the $50 million Predator drone that was kicked out of the sky. It is absolutely insane. The mellow reaction 
from our staff. Oh, we know we're right. Was they were wrong? They were reckless. Enough. What about some strength? Like Senator Mike Grounds showed the other day when Jennifer Griffin informed them that what happened to our predator. They knocked out our aircraft, and we have done nothing. I like to know if we're flying in the same region again, right over Crimea in international waters, safely out of any controversy. But we should let them know we're coming back. And that would be nice to say from the podium, too. It also helps our allies. But instead, we get this from Brigadier General Pat Ryder. Cut to. We do have indications that Russia is likely making an effort to try to recover MQ-9 debris. Um, As you point out, and as General Milley highlighted, however, we assess it's very unlikely uh, that they would be able to recover anything useful, given a couple of factors. One, the fact, and and I'm not going to go into details, but that we took steps to protect information aboard that aircraft. And two, the fact that it crashed in uh, extremely deep water. Yeah, you better hope. Uh, and it is embarrassing. They knock our aircraft out of the sky. They blame us, even though tape tells a different story. And they're trying to recover our technology. We don't have a naval presence in the area because we thought it would be great to show Vladimir Putin that we're not a threat. So we voluntarily pulled out of the Black Sea. And can someone get that guy a shot of adrenaline? I mean, you're representing the Pentagon. Can you at least act like you're awake? Mark Kelly, astronaut, fighter pilot, 20 years in the military, has to be extremely bright. So is his twin brother. But I always, as I mentioned before, I expected more from him. I thought he was going to be half Joe Manchin, half Henry Cuellar, especially when it came to the border. He hasn't. But yesterday, he sounded very direct and upset about what we're witnessing. And he also says... The Russian pilots probably did this by mistake because they're terrible, and he knows firsthand. Cut five. Look at the level of incompetence. I mean, when we saw that that flanker just yesterday basically have a midair with a with, with an MQ-9 with a Reaper. What did you make of that? I spent 15 years in the astronaut office. I used to fly with Russian fighter pilots in the backseat of my airplane. The level of incompetence in the Russian pilots that I flew with was shocking to me. Do you think I mean, that was incompetence or was no, aggressiveness? It was a combination of two, being a, in, aggressive. I think he was trying to join mm-hmm. up and rendezvous with the MQ-9, probably get some pictures of it, and he crashed into it. Does not surprise me. Okay. So he thinks it's incompetence. Other people do too. They said that no fighter jet would ever want to collide with anything because it could take yourself down. And he says, I've flown with them. They're absolutely terrible, well, woefully inept as fighter pilots. That's what we're up against. But right now, the American public is getting fed up. We have so many issues here at home. They have no faith in the president's foreign policy. And because of that, a recent poll showed only 42 percent of the Republican Party was in favor of continued operation for Ukraine. They want to be redirected. For example, Senator Josh Hawley, cut 11. The truth is, is that Republicans all over the country, certainly in my home state of Missouri, know that we need to be focused on making America strong. We need to be focused on rebuilding this nation. And if we're looking overseas, we need to be focused on China. Well, China's president visiting Vladimir Putin. And if you want to hurt China, hurt Russia. Because if you let that guy get strong, China will rearm Russia. They understand their mistakes. They'll have different commanders, and they'll be much more formidable in a few years. But let them know your junior partner couldn't be more junior. So you are, by taking on Russia, taking on China. But listen, I understand how you feel. You have no faith in this president to pull something off competently, and he doesn't talk about it ever. The other big story, 
and I just I am so aggravated by this, and you do too. You know, this week everybody's losing money. You look at the market, down 500 points, 400 points, bounces back 75 points. We're not going to raise rates because we hear about Republic Bank, we hear about Silicon Valley Bank, we hear about uh, Signature Bank, we hear about what's happening with uh, Credit Suisse getting bailed out, bailed out, caught caught up. And then we say to ourselves, how can they be so stupid? Are they really stupid or are they just flat out unethical? They watched the rates go up. They saw what they were invested in. They saw the money that was coming in, and they cashed out. I cannot believe that. Those banks I mentioned. So this guy, James Herbert III, sold $4.5 million worth of shares since the start of the year. Wow, that's when things started going south for First Republic Bank. Millions of dollars of company stocks sold by the executives in the weeks before the collapse. Robert Thornton, president of a private wealth with Republic Bank, sold $7 million worth of his holdings at 73%. Mike Ruffler sold $1 million in January. David Lichtman, the COO of the company, uh, Mike Ruffler is one of the executives too, sold $2.5 million in 2023 alone. Before that, it's been two years since they sold any of their stock. Why would they do it? Because they wanted to cash out before everybody else loses out. So they steer that ship into the iceberg and jump out right before it hits, and they end up in Hawaii in the case of the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank. They're staying at a $3 million home after they cast out at $3.4 million worth of checks. So Janet Yellen is in there telling everybody, don't worry about it. I got this thing under control. I think it's totally – these people are not stupid, but they are without values. They can do this thing without conscience, and they don't care because they know on some level – Depositors will be bailed out. And I understand the, the, the school of thought why to do it. You're not at fault. You deposit your money. But the risk is, is gone. And if the risk is gone, the CEOs and the COOs are going to get worse and worse and more reckless. Robert Kiyoshagi wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, one of the most successful books ever. Cut 15. I say that she is conflict of interest. She was uh, head of the Fed and now she's head of the Treasury. And uh, they're the and you know Bernanke got a Nobel Prize for being the Fed chairman, and these guys are the arson like we talked about on Monday. They're the ones who caused the problem, and then we they want to bail us out. Neil, my my final words are: is not what they're doing is what are you going to do? To react because Janet Yellen, who's head of the Fed now head of the Treasury, feels like she's acting. They're acting in behest of the people that donate to Democrats. For example, it's impossible to miss the amount of money by the executives, uh, Becker and others, that went to Democratic causes in Silicon Valley. Hence, it's extremely liberal. Yeah. But what does that have to do with banking and profit? Nothing. So we'll talk about that. one 408 7669 That really aggravates me. But guess who forecasted this problem? When they knew that interest rates could not stay at zero too much longer, how would it affect the investments in some of these bankers, some of these regionals? It was Donald Trump. Listen to what he said in September of 2016. Cut 17. We have the worst revival of an economy since the Great Depression. And believe me, we're in a bubble right now. And the only thing that looks good is the stock market. But if you raise interest rates even a little bit, that's going to come crashing down. We are in a big, fat, ugly bubble. And we better be awfully careful. And we have a Fed that's doing political things. This Janet Yellen of the Fed. The Fed is doing political by keeping the interest rates at this level 
And believe me, the day Obama goes off and he leaves and he goes out to the golf course for the rest of his life to play golf, when they raise interest rates, you're going to see some very bad things happen because the Fed is not doing their job. The Fed is being more political than Secretary Clinton. So that was before two months before he won the election. Yes, Democrats, he won the election. I don't want to take too much time away. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about the new revelations with Hunter Biden. Now, you've been hearing the Hunter Biden story for years, but you have not heard it with back records. You had it through Tony Bobulinski and his his uh, receipts were great. His information was fantastic and insightful. But now you have Bank of America records to talk about who's benefiting, where they got it and who was sending them money. It is really disturbing. And Democrats should be disturbed, too. You have a chance to swap out your candidates And I'm telling you right now, this is closer and closer to Joe Biden because Hunter Biden was the one in charge of raising money for the family. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm so glad you're here on this St. Patrick's Day. Don't move. Your call's next. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. At the end of the day, what Joe Biden's uh, uh, defenders have said is this is a business deal. This is a business deal. Well, what's the business, Sean? There's no business. There's no business. They were influence peddling. They were it, it looks like they were getting money for some type of service. Now, I don't think Hunter Biden could provide the type of service that would generate millions and millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party. But I believe his father could. So when they say that Joe Biden wasn't involved, we don't know that. We just know that Joe Biden met with a lot of these people that uh, that ended up going in business with Hunter or, or ended up paying Hunter, rather, and the family. I, I just don't get it. I remember when presidents would leave and he's vice president would leave and they'll do a speech in Japan and get a lot of money. I think Ronald Reagan was the first. And speaking around the globe, I don't have a problem with that. But why is it necessary to do these these shady business deals with our number one economic and military enemy, China? And they knew it. They get the intelligence. And still they're reaching out to CEFC, which is an energy arm of the communist government, getting payments. We don't know what skill they had. We don't know what expertise they delivered. Are they lobbyists? Are they going to supposedly let them get traction in the U.S.? Do you know what they were helping to do, CFC? The Belt and Road Program. You know what that was? That is a road program that was supposed to go into struggling countries and say, here's the financing to get those roads and those airports and those tunnels and those bridges. Oh, you can't pay them back? Well, then we're just going to have influence within your country. And guess who gets hurt? Us. Because we're not looking to dominate countries, but we do help countries. There's a World Bank for that. They were the bank. And guess who was playing a role in that? Knowingly, the vice president... And at least his family, unless he's the most naive guy in the world, uh, they revealed yesterday that at least three family members received lucrative payments from bank accounts belonging to their business partner, longtime friend Rob Walker. The account is labeled Robinson Walker LLC. And one of the family members is Haley Biden. Who's that? The grammar school teacher and widow of Bo Biden, who Hunter Biden started dating and left his wife. I know. Left his wife. 
in order to date and then left her and the gun and all this other stuff that was going on. Still had a raging addiction at that point. We all hope he got over it. Meanwhile, the bank account had $35,000 in two transfers over to Haley Barber, uh, Haley Biden. What was the business? Why did Rob Walker pay her? What does it look like on her taxes? You just can't. Anyone knows this? You're doing your taxes right now? You just can't just get someone $35,000 and just think it's going to evaporate and people aren't going to ask you where it came from, the genesis of it. There's got to be some type of trail. We're seeing that trail of Bank of America. Also, there's other money going to someone named Biden. No first name. So out of everybody with first and last name, there's there's Biden getting $70,000. Hmm. May 17, 2017. Remember, the big guy gets mentioned, and according to Bobolinsky uh, and one other uh, one other business partner, the big guy was Joe Biden. And that's what this is about, is Joe Biden doing deals with our enemies, our competitors, China. Remember, for the longest time he said China can't, you know, we can, they can't eat our lunch, we'll eat their lunch, we're so much bigger than them. Why were you so dismissive of China as a power? Knowing what they were doing around the world, seeing that they were capable of taking Hong Kong like they did, knowing they've been talking about taking Taiwan, seeing that they've had ambitions of growing up, growing through Africa. Uh, I mean, it just blows me away that they still feel as though they should do business with these characters. So here is James Comer. Cut 27. That's another thing. They've tried to imply that there was only a couple of family members. But what we found is there are multiple family members and there's going to end up being between four and seven Bidens who receive significant amounts of money from communist China. Is that OK with you? OK, I'm thinking Democrats are saying, let it go. Because they know only 35 percent of Democrats want him to run again. For some reason, he has not decided well, I had that formal press conference to run again, even though he's out on the West Coast when he should be talking about uh, these Russian aircraft uh, knocking our uh, predators out of the sky. Even though he should be talking and reassuring people that the regional banking system and our big banking system isn't about to fall apart again. He's out on the West Coast raising money. Why would he do that if he's not running? But the longer he stays around, as long as they move, uh, make progress with the Hunter Biden investigation, maybe some on the left are going to say – you know, maybe it is not time for Joe to run anymore. Maybe the scandal will get too big for him to win, even against Donald Trump. We'll talk about 2024, but when we come back, we'll talk about what's happening over with the Ukraine. What is the slowdown, the slow walking of tanks, keeping them from walking away with a victory? Jack Keane. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. At this time, uh, we have not seen uh, the transfer yet of any lethal assistance um, from China to Russia for use on the battlefield. Is something that we're keeping a very close eye on. I know there's some press reports out there talking about some uh, trade deals. Uh, that in and of itself is not unusual. China and Russia share a trade relationship. Uh, but the key point being is that as of right now, we've not seen any lethal assistance transferring from China to Russia for use on the battlefield in Ukraine. Uh, that was uh, Brigadier General Pat Ryder in a very mellow fashion, just going saying right now, China not delivering lethal weapons. Although there are rifles arriving that some say uh, they claim were for uh, for hunting, but they're not. 
Uh, we don't know if that was formal government transfer, though. General Jack Keane joins us now, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute of the Study of War and Fox News senior strategic analyst. Uh, general, uh, first off, I want you to see if you would comment on China going to visit Vladimir Putin. We knew about their relationship, but what kind of signal is that supposed to send? Well, I mean, they're in a strategic partnership, for sure. Um, they're uh, long-serving uh, dictators of their country. You know, Putin's been in power since 2000. So that's, we're in his 23rd year. Xi is in, uh, he's beginning his 11th year. They've had uh, 39 visits to date where they've actually seen each other. Um, and this will be number, number 40. Uh, they have a common interest, and it's a pretty simple common interest. Uh, they 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 want to run the world as opposed to the United States and the democracies as, as authoritarian states. And they've developed, uh, even though they have uh, significant divisions and they've had disagreements through the years, uh, these are strategic partners. And we've got to start getting our head around what's really happening here. So if Russia wins in Ukraine, China wins. And it's going to impact what China does in the Indo-Pacific region. And meanwhile, we'll have to put more troops into Europe to defend against Russia to make certain that they'll spill over into NATO. And that's going to detract uh, you know, from what we're trying to do with China. And believe me, this is a strategic partnership. Uh, and they are in this for the United States and the coalition-led uh, Western coalition to lose. And that's what this is about. They're going to be talking about, and Putin certainly is going to put the arm on, on President Xi. This much I know, that he's been providing commercial drones. He's been providing uh, microchips because 70 percent of the imports of chips, and he's completely dependent on it, Putin, that is, has dried up. And it's been affecting the manufacture of weapon systems. You know, every weapon system we have, uh, except for a, a basic assault rifle, uh, has anything that has electronics in it, it's got, it's got a chip in it. So they're completely dependent on it. And they're giving them some other items as well. Putin is going to certainly make the case for lethal arms. He has ammunition problems. Uh, he's got major problems uh, with his uh, armor vehicles, his artillery. And sitting over there in China is all of that. China buys more Russian-made military equipment uh, from, from Russia than any other country. And they manufacture a little bit on their own. So, yes, Putin's going to make a case. For, and that lethal uh, aid, if, he's, if he provides it, will make a difference. And the United States certainly did, I think, a good thing in exposing the fact that they were, they were talking about it. And I think she, China got a surprising pushback, not from the United States. She expected that, but from the EU. The EU came out and said this will be a red line that will fundamentally affect the economic relationship that we have with China. They are significant trading partners. And if, if, that, if the China reads that as being real and not just rhetoric, uh, they ha they'll have to take a pause. And so it remains to be seen what comes of this meeting. It's likely a pretty significant meeting, obviously getting together the first time since the war began. Absolutely. So a couple of things. Uh, not everybody, you know, you have China to breaking point and it and it's a jumping off point. If China says, OK, we're going to start giving you lethal weapons, it's going to prop up this war a lot longer. And who knows, 
maybe uh, swing it a certain direction. And also there's people that just have no faith that Joe Biden, his administration, can run any type of conflict effectively, nor do they think his instincts are right, including Senator Josh Hawley. Cut 10. But what we don't need to do is spend any more money on Ukraine. Stop writing them these checks with no accountability. Stop this proxy war that this administration has been carrying on. We need to look to the Europeans. It's their continent. They need to step up. No more welfare for the Europeans. They should be taking the lead in their own national defense. But uh, Wall Street and the U.S. Senate don't get that. And I tell you what, they will get it sooner or later because the people will not be ignored for uh, forever. They're going to make their voice heard. So that's a sentiment you've heard before. And that's the senator from Missouri. Your thoughts? I couldn't disagree with them more. And the facts of the case aren't even there, for crying out loud. I mean, if you're going to have a a position, let's get some facts straight. Yeah, we give more money than anybody else does, but it's a factor of GDP. And what I mean by that, the amount of wealth a country has, we're we're like number five and number six. Most of the Eastern European countries are punching above their weight and providing it. And when it comes down to military aid, we're around $33, $35 billion in military assistance. That money doesn't go to Ukraine. That money goes to the defense industry to buy back the equipment we've provided to Ukraine. And who's benefiting from that? American workers. So let's let's get some facts straight here in terms of what's happening. And I'm assuming that uh, Senator Hawley believes that – Overseas involvement like that detracts from what we're doing at home. I mean, we're we're a global leader, and you're telling me that we can't provide equipment to a country and let them do the fighting? They're doing the dying, and it's in our national interest uh, as a result of that. And we can't make sure our border and laws are enforced. We can't solve a fentanyl problem. We can't deal with crime epidemic in this country. Uh, we could do all of that. It has to do with the leadership we have in this country. It ha- doesn't have to do with the fact that we're providing assistance to Ukraine. And we're getting these issues all mixed up and looking for simple answers. And they're just not simple answers. And Senator Hawley's got to know that if Russia wins, and we pull out, that's going to happen. If Russia, if Russia wins, China wins. And that means we have a major, major problem on our hands dealing with China. We will have to provide more assistance to the Europeans to help defend against a revisionist Russia that will rebuild its army. And having succeeded in Ukraine will encroach. His objective has always been to take back the Soviet republics that are now in NATO and break NATO. And with China's assistance, that's what they would be about. Senator Hawley has to look at this situation and recognize that when we're trying to defeat Russia, we're also attempting to defeat China. We don't want those two countries winning in this war in Ukraine and the implications it would have in the Indo-Pacific region, where we're already behind militarily. So we think that uh, it looks like President Xi, China, plans to visit Moscow next week. And then he wants to talk to he's going to talk to Zelensky. Does it bother you that he's going to act like a peacemaker in this region? No, he can do that. It's not going to have any credibility. I mean, he's he's got a 12-point proposal that, that that has not stuck on the wall. The international community looked at that and thought it was not serious. Why? Because he wants the sanctions to be stopped immediately. That's not going to happen. Excuse me. And he wants a ceasefire immediately, which means Russia stays in all the occupied territories. Russia keeps torturing women 
killing, excuse me, raping women, torturing men and killing them and migrating hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians outside of the country to include tens of thousands of children. That's what uh, she is, is actually proposing. The, the, the reality is that Zelensky, though, has, wants to talk to President Xi. And, and here's the reason. I mean, Xi's going to get an earful from Putin. Putin will be lying through his teeth you know, to President Xi about why the war started, what he's about, what he's trying to achieve. And Zelensky wants to talk to Xi about what is really happening. Now, I, I think Xi is a ruthless dictator, and I doubt when you make the case about genocide and war crimes and the suffering of the of the Ukrainian people, uh, I'm not certain that has much impact on, on Xi, uh, given what he's doing to a couple of million Uyghurs and the repression and genocide that he's committing uh, with, with those people in terms of mandatory abortion, sterilization, and, and sort of the ethnic cleansing that is that, that has taken place. He and Putin are, uh, you know, two peas in a pod for crying out loud in terms of their ruthlessness, their barbarianism. But nonetheless, Zelensky wants to make the case to him about what is happening here. And I think it would be good for President Xi to look in Zelensky's eyes and feel his determination, feel his passion for this. And, and, and I think Zelensky will tell him, Listen, even if you destroy my army here, we will fight Russia occupation for as long as it takes. Our women will fight. Our young teenagers will fight. Our men will fight. We will fight for a generation if that needs to be. And that is the absolute truth. There is no exaggeration whatsoever in what I just said. And I, and I would want you to feel that kind of determination that this would not be over if Russia even crushed Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's military, because they can't crush Ukraine's people. And he'll be, Putin will be fighting Ukraine's people well after uh, Putin passes on. About the fight, I, I hear you. Let's hope he relays that. But put, but uh, one thing about Zelensky, he does, he does speak well. He's very motivated, and he has shown great courage. Slovakia and Poland have one thing in common. They're both sending MiGs over to, and they're they're not waiting for us. They're just sending them over to Ukraine. Uh, it looks like Slovakia will send 13 uh, MiGs over there, and it looks like Poland will send some too, some of which aren't uh, functioning, but he, they believe the Ukrainians' mechanics can get it going. What do you think this does for our uh, our uh, our decision on F-16s? I think it puts on the Biden administration and rightfully so. I mean, we should be leading this effort, not following this effort. I mean, we on the tank issue, you saw what happened. I mean, uh, the Germans, the other countries, they really wanted to give the tanks, but they wanted the, the United States to take the lead, to, to bear the burden, uh, you know, in terms of if of Putin's wrath, so to speak, if there was any, ever going to be any escalation. They didn't want the finger pointing at them. They wanted the cover of the United States. The Eastern Europeans have been the most tough-minded right from the outset. Why is that? Well, because they lived under communist rule. They know what this is like. They have experienced it, and they're on the border, and they're the first to be encroached on by Russia. And so they get it. They said, look, the war is on now. Let's defeat them in Ukraine so they don't come 
into our capital cities, into our villages and towns. And that's why they're so in. And that's why they're giving, as a percentage of GDP, actually more than what the United States has given, because it means so much to them, given the experience they've had. I mean, they, they lived under the boot of the Soviet Union and Russian communism, you know, for over 40 years. So they get it. They want no what, part of it, yeah. That's what this is about. No part of it. And, and th- they see the opportunity is there to take advantage of it. And, and some of the, the people who are pushing back, I mean, if they would ever make a trip and talk to these, uh, these leaders in that country and talk to their people, you would understand very graphically why this war means so much to them and stopping Russia in Ukraine so it doesn't come to their neighborhood. And it absolutely is worth worth the effort. And certainly the Eastern Europeans get that in spades. Understand. And, and lastly, Politico has a report today that China is adding, has uh, given uh, Russia a thousand assault rifles and other equipment, including uh, body armor and some parts to replace uh, some drone parts. So some equipment there uh, that has not been verified by the Pentagon. How much uh, what do you hear? Well, none of that, you know, is, is decisive in of itself. I, China has been helping them with parts that contribute to uh, weapon systems. They've given them minerals, certain chemicals that you need, as I mentioned, microchips. Uh, and they, they've been working under the radar. Their trade with, uh, uh, with Russia went from $140 billion a year ago to over $200 billion now. And certainly that a lot of that has to do with buying uh, Russian uh, oil and, Ru- and Russian gas, although they're getting that uh, at a discounted, discounted price. So they're, they're trying to compensate the impact of the sanctions. They're trying to help out as best they can and work around uh, lethal aid. But the, the products they're giving them will help create lethality, certainly, for the Russians. But the big issue is are they going to make a decision to sustain Russians' artillery and, and Russia's missiles and rockets that they have shortages? And are they actually going to send heavy heavy equipment, which they have plenty of because it's all Russian? Uh, that remains to be seen. They have the capacity, certainly, to begin to solve some problems on the battlefield for Russia. But the big issues will still be there, Brian, regardless of how much assistance China provides, and that is poor leadership, low morale, not properly trained. And the fact is, this week, the Russian forces' offensive has culminated because of significant casualties, and the opportunity is going to be here in a couple of months for the Ukrainians to take back territory. They, they could have done it sooner. They'd be on the move right now. They're just waiting. I know. For the promised equipment to come, Brian. And that's they what wanted it last year. And that's why Republicans yeah. get so upset and they say, Well, you know what what's going on? Why why we're going to be subjected to the lack of leadership coming from the White House who doesn't speak to the people or tell us exactly what it's about because they don't have Jack Keane they can call on. General, have a great St. Patrick's Day. Thanks so much. Yeah. You and your audience as well, Brian. Have a great weekend. Take Absolutely. care. Thank yeah. you. And there's nobody better than that. Uh, back in a moment. A few more calls when we get back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The truth is, is that Republicans all over the country, certainly in my home state of Missouri, know 
that we need to be focused on making America strong. We need to be focused on rebuilding this nation. And if we're looking overseas, we need to be focused on China. And that is, as in Josh Hawley, you heard how upset General Jackine was because the information was wrong. But a lot of people agree with him. I'm not one of them. Alex, listening in California. Hey, Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to say that uh, no foreign power is imposing the current government of China on its people. That government, the autocratic government, exists because the Chinese people support it and maintain it. In they other have a words, choice. The current, in other words, the current competition between China and the United States is not just a competition between two governments. It's a competition between two civilizations. And China has the upper hand because of its larger population. In the long run, its economy will become larger than the economy of any Western country and will have significantly more influence on world events due to its wealth. You could, Alex, in the best case scenario for China, that sounds like something that China would hope for. But nobody really thinks their economy is going well. They are extremely disturbed about their unemployment of young Hmong people. Wiping out any sense of market economy and market incentives and entrepreneurship is going to be detrimental to their population. And one thing President Xi told Donald Trump uh, when asked, what is your biggest worry? And he says, jobs. I have to have enough jobs for my people to make this economy go. That's why they're building cities that people don't live in. They're just trying to keep people busy. We'll see what happens. Uh, And as long as you have a common enemy, you can keep a group motivated. When they look around and see their quality of life, that's going to be an issue with China. And if we are up for the challenge, they don't have a shot. They were supposed to have passed us already. That hasn't happened. Brian Kilmeade's show. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Well, though the action's on 5th because it's the biggest parade in the world. St. Patrick's Day. Hope you're having a great day. New York's always the place to be in many respects. There's always something to do as we try to get crime under control, at least it's happening in the subway. But especially today, I think it's 150,000 people actually take the parade. Two million people will watch. The whole city is covered. And it's not just with Irish, obviously. People having a great time. A lot of people are off from college. So if you're local or you're visiting, yeah, people on spring break, other people spending their spring break here. So it's really an electric time to be in New York. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So there was a lot of money that transferred from China to the Bidens. And what we want to know is what did China get in return? Because I don't think China would would spend this much money on this many different members of the Biden family. Do you? James Comer, Biden files unearthed, thanks to Bank of America. Their records show that Biden's, a lot of them, got millions from China. Question, what exactly did they provide in terms of service and expertise to a Chinese energy company? For example, a school teacher named Haley Biden. Why does China need her expertise? Number two. Silicon Valley Bank Financial, the overall parent, has now commenced its Chapter 11 filing. So it's gone bankrupt. Unethical and despicable. That's how I describe the revelations that execs in two failing banks cashed in before bottoms fell out. Shareholders, investors, depositors, all left to pick up the pieces. We'll discuss it. Number one. I have faith in the American people. At the end of the day, the majority of the American people will understand that U.S. interests are at stake here. If we don't defeat the Russian army in Ukraine, we're going to have to put more troops in Europe, more capacity in Europe to deal with it. 
Yep, worth fighting for. The mission of Ukraine to oust the Russians is in America's best interest. Strict accounting of all material, yes. Replenish our weapons, stocks, yes. Timetable, yes. But Russia wants us displaced and a plan on teaming with China to do it. And Ukraine is where the stand is and they're willing to fight. There is no reason not to back them up. With me right now is Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, do you agree with me on that? I do. I do indeed. But let me just tell you first, uh, Brian, that I'm sitting here in my perch in the 20th floor of the Peninsula Hotel, 55th and 5th, looking down on St. Patrick's Cathedral. The parade has just begun. The phalanx of motorcycle officers leading one of the first military units as they uh, as they march down Fifth Avenue. It's eerie looking down Fifth Avenue. Look for uh, tens of blocks uh, all the way down uh, uh, to the uh, to the Madison Square area. Uh, it's it's fun to watch the crowds gathering. Uh, the flags flying, the bagpipes playing. Uh, so uh, uh, we have we have that that flavor. I, yeah. I'm resting up. I'm hydrating, getting ready for some serious drinking uh, later in the day. The party just on the rooftop here at the peninsula. So you will. Uh, do you have a nurse? Do you have an IV preparing you, or is this just water? I mean, it's, it sounds like a, a medical operation. <laughs> It is. It's very. Uh, it, it, it's very premeditated. Uh, you've got to pace yourself. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a veteran of uh, these St. Patrick's uh, celebrations. I, I've uh, always so had the I, best I time in New York City on St. Patrick's oh, Day. Yeah. I don't remember the last time I could really hang out, but you can't take it for granted after the pandemic. Whoever thought we would not be celebrating St. Patrick's Day in New York City, and that's what's happened two of the last three years. It really has. You know, when I was a, a cadet at the Maritime College in the Bronx. You wore a uniform, uh, you know, because of the Navy Reserve connection uh, that looked very much like a naval officer's uniform. So I always wore my dress uniforms every St. Patrick's Day. You get free bus rides. Women the, love it. The ladies love it. <laughs> Kiss you on the cheek, everybody. Every you know, everyone's Irish. Uh, so I, I got to. I wonder if I, my uniform still fits. I think so. Well, it, it, it might. Well, yeah, yeah, you're still but, at fighting weight. So, Geraldo, uh, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. 150,000 people, 2 million will show up. Uh, I have to say to you, uh, very interesting. I had Jack Keen on for 20 minutes just talking about what's going on on the ground and how necessary it's going to be for us to be successful there. But quickly, we don't have a lot of time. They have 60 million population. They're lost about 100,000 men fighting. They're killing civilians. But the Russians are so inept. They've lost about 200,000 killed captured or casualties off the battlefield they have they say that the uh, wagner group is recruiting women in prisons to come out now trying to get colleges for people to uh come in and now china's making it clear they're a block they're visiting uh and they're visiting and they want to show the world that they're one what do you take from the takedown of our predator how would you have handled it geraldo well i think that uh, uh general keen is the best military analyst uh, in in the media. We're really blessed to have him at Fox News, retired four-star, really uh, understands uh, warfare, understands the current situation in Europe. I uh, absolutely, obviously uh, agree with him. Uh, this is, a, uh, for, for Ukraine, it is an existential battle for us. It is a very, very uh, important fight against uh, our traditional foe. 
Uh, Russia would not will not stop at Ukraine. They won't. Uh, They've already taken piece of Georgia. Uh, you know uh, the uh, the country on the on the Caspian and the Black Seas. There, we just uh, you know they will go into Eastern Europe and gobble up what they can, reestablish the uh, Soviet Empire, the Iron Curtain. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm shocked and dismayed by uh, Governor DeSantis saying it's not in our national interest. I don't know uh, if he's even ever been overseas. I've never seen any. Oh yeah, he was. He was in Baghdad. He fought in Iraq. So I mean, he was a, a JAG yeah, officer. All right. Oh, all right. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, so after I, I Harvard, him, he went over I there. Him, I give him props for that, but I would think that he would know better. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit posturing, and I'm surprised how many people I talk to who who say what Josh Hawley said, who say what uh, a lot of people here say. It's not worth it. We shouldn't be doing it. We got too many things here, and I I will just never buy into that. I think it's a lot to do with the fact that we watched the way Joe Biden pulled out of Afghanistan. We see the fact that he does not want to crack down on the cartels in Mexico. Uh, we see uh, a lot of the things that he does in foreign policy-wise with Saudi Arabia, uh, alienating them while telling the Iranians, please, I beg you to get back in a nuclear deal. And then they say, oh, Ukraine, that's the fight for. And they say, well, I didn't agree with you there, so I can't, uh, I, I, I can't agree with you here. And I just think that that's the problem, that he has so little credibility with me and with uh, with conservatives who say, why am I following him? He seems to be slow walking the weapons and I'm getting I don't want to follow him down this path. And I just think this is one path that I think you got to push him to do the right thing, get the people to get them the weapons that they need right away. Oh, I do, too. And I'm glad that Poland is stepping up finally with the MiG-29 and Slovakia very, very uh, and Czechoslovakia as well. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's about time. It's past time. Uh, but in fairness, uh, I, I think Biden has not been a bad wartime president in terms of Ukraine. I think that uh, we have to remember uh, that the Biden administration did exactly uh, forecast, predict, announce that Russia was going to invade. Uh, the invasion, the surprise uh, shock invasion was was uh, projected uh, by us weeks in advance. Uh, Russia never expected Ukraine to be as prepared as it was. But now you're absolutely right. We've got to stop slow walking. We have to, you know, give these brave, resolute, patriotic people the uh, the equipment they need to uh, uh, to fight uh, this this historic foe. Uh, Russia is not going away. It's not a territorial dispute. It is, uh, you know, a quest for reestablishment of an empire uh, antithetical to the United States, allied with China and uh, and causing all kinds of mischief in terms of their uh, imperialistic uh, expansionist uh, uh, ambitions, Brian. Right. So I want to bring you to something. Look, I'm looking at these experts contradict each other on what's going on with these regional banks. But one thing I'm pretty sure of is that when I see that these CEOs, COOs know that things are going south and they cash out, that is, to me, virtual, virtually criminal. Bank, listen to this. This James Herbert III, the, the, chief, the chief risk officer with Republic Bank, cashes out $4.5 million worth of his shares of stocks three weeks ago. 
Robert Thornton, the president of Private Wealth Management, sold $7 million worth of stock from Republic, 73% of his holdings when he had not sold a single stock since 2021. Michael Ruffler sold $1 million in January and another $1.3 million in November, same bank. The COO sold $2.5 million in 2023. The last stock he sold was March 6th, David Lichtman as Republic struggles and lose 60% of its value. So those on the inside saved themselves and now want the government or others to bail them out as they, like the guy in uh, with the Silicon Valley Bank in Hawaii, his $3.5 million state, after cashing in $3.4 million worth of stock. Geraldo, how could this be? How could these people sleep at night and do this? I'm, I'm with you. I think it's disgusting. It's low down and dirty. It's sleazy. Uh, it, it, and I appreciate and really applaud the publication of their names and the amount of money that they uh, that they took out. And I wonder, are there any uh, elected officials uh, similarly who bailed uh, at just the right time for themselves, helping accelerate uh, uh, the crisis, the budding crisis right now? Uh, it, it really is, uh, you know. Everybody wants to succeed in life. Everybody wants to make a buck. But you don't want to do it in a way that uh, uh, disadvantages other people. It's, uh, it's selfish. It's dirty money. Uh, you know, I, 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 I want them exposed. I really want them uh, exposed. It, whatever the, uh, yeah. the fundamental problems are, I want them fixed, obviously. Uh, but the people going for the short money, they really disgust me, Brian. I know. It's unbelievable. I mean, this guy, Greg Becker, and his wife, Madeline Batista, uh, fled to their $3.1 million Maui townhouse after taking $3.4 million in stock in the Silicon Valley Bank. And we know how many how many, uh, how many different campaigns from Hillary Clinton to Nancy Pelosi that Becker personally financed. So maybe that has something to do with the fact that no one's really uh, – you know, panting to get a hold of them. So this, to me, drives me crazy. They know what's happening. Uh, rather than crash down and, and rebuild, they take things and, and they run for the hills. Now many people's answer is, forget the regional banks. Some, uh, you know, we don't need them. I don't think that that's what well, the American public wants to let go of their neighborhood bank. You know, we want to trust the people that we, we want to be able to look in the eye of people and say, you know, this is the deli I want to buy, the dry cleaner I need finance. This is the restaurant, the building I want to buy instead of just working there. And I don't know if I want to do that to J.P. Morgan Chase on a cold application. I maybe want to still be able to look at my banker in the face. Is that possible still? Uh, you know, I have a buddy uh, who I won't mention the name of the regional bank. A uh, very high-ranking uh, executive, and I got back to Cleveland. Eric and I had dinner with uh, uh, with the husband and, and wife uh, on Thursday night, and he was so solemn. Uh, he was so, uh, and I had no idea. Of, uh, uh, he didn't say anything to me uh, about what was going on, but uh, you know that that bank is synonymous with uh, with Cleveland, and the, the city needs the need people that. I really have a sense of the the local scene. It would be really uh, tragic, I think, if we if we go down uh, the, the monopolistic road to two, three, four super banks, uh, you know, tending to everybody's business, and uh, you know, finding finding some kind of algorithm, yeah. uh, you know, to talk to people via 
computer rather than uh, eye to eye. Uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart's not around anymore. It's uh, it's sad, uh, but I, I I do think again here uh, the federal government. I, I'm pretty impressed by how the the big banks did rally around uh, First Republic. Uh, they and, don't deserve uh, it, know, but the people do. They, they may not, but the, at least they yeah. keep the bank viable, and then and then continue this campaign of exposing uh, the sleaze bags. Uh, continue the campaign of uh, publicizing the uh, short money grabbers. I, I, I believe that uh, you know the feisty right. a feisty media and shows like this are maybe the antidote to this problem, Brian. You got it, uh, Geraldo Rivera. Are you going to be on the five today? Uh, not today. No, I'm going to be drunk. That's right. <laughs> good, good answer. You know, he's on the schedule, but he's going to be drunk, so we're going to have to get somebody else. I got to work out for Yeah. I don't know about that personal day if it's going to fly now because Human Resources loves listening to my show. Geraldo, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for not drinking right, before buddy. my broadcast. Okay. Rather that He is hydrating for you. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This Fed, uh, Powell, the biggest lie he told, he says this is transitory. And as we talked about on Monday, this is systemic. And the systemic problem is the bond market. And the bond market is global. My next prediction is the biggest one of all is Japan. And the Japan, when Japan went bust in 2009 due to the real estate bust, they did what we're doing today. Rather than fix the problem, they created zombie banks and zombie companies. And now they're, they're, you know, they're negative interest rates. This is ridiculous. And there's a lot of people who feel with the direction we're heading without making tough decisions by just using government money to prop things up, the, the capitalism just breaks down. So without allowing some of these businesses to fail and these executives to be arrested, judging by what I just told you with Geraldo, all these people cashing out and going out to Hawaii, getting fired, but they don't care. They got enough to live the rest of their lives. Everyone else pays the price. The bigger banks buy it. Other people are out of jobs. But what happens to the economy if you keep getting money printed from the Fed and with the interest rate was staying at zero way too long? And that was... Speaking of that, was the guy that used to – this is Robert Kiyosaki, who is co-founder of uh, the Rich Dad Company and author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who has as much common sense about financial matters as just about anyone. So, Janet Yellen, I'll play some of that uh, with Bob McDonald, who's my guest next, the president and CEO of Cedarstone Bank, another regional bank I thought would be perfect to hear what his perspective is on how he was able to sustain himself. They are fiscally responsible. They are fiscally very healthy for people who say we got to turn the corner and forget about regional banks, as uh, Mr. Wonderful did uh, yesterday with us on Fox and & Friends and with Tucker last night. I don't really think that that's where to go. He goes, many people in who are in their 20s now, in their 30s, have never walked into a bank because they do it all on their phones. And that's where it's heading. Why are we propping up these regional banks? Why do we need so many banks? 
that's a big that's a big hurdle. I think a lot of people want to know that they can walk in and t- talk to somebody about their mortgage, have a track record and a personality behind it, understand when things are going a little late, different options that you may have, as opposed to going online, applying, and finding out you are eligible or not eligible uh, for a certain loan or certain financing. I'm not sure that J.P. Morgan Chase and uh, these other huge behemoths, uh, these Black Rocks, can do that. So we'll talk about that and try to get a perspective on what's happening now. And how prescient, guess what, Donald Trump was in 2016 when he saw how long the Fed was sustaining interest rates at 0% to keep money cheap in order to get elected so you wouldn't be blamed. But is it good for the overall health of the country? That's a key because maybe maybe we're looking at what we heard from yesterday, a slow rolling crisis as opposed to 2008. It happened the snap of a finger. Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. This week's actions demonstrate our resolute commitment to ensure that our financial system remains strong and that depositors' savings remain safe. All right, the former Treasury Secretary, now Secretary of Treasury, uh, the former Fed Chair, Janet Yellen, speaking yesterday in front of Congress. Some hostile questions to her, and justifiably so. I mean, why are we always surprised by these uh, by these mini crises? Bob McDonald is president and CEO of Cedarstone Bank. Uh, they're a very successful uh, regional bank with a real sense of community and the perfect person to speak at this hour. Uh, Bob, welcome back. How is your bank doing today? Hi, Brian. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Uh, Brian, we've had a very good week, and I think that would – I think if you ask any uh, community banker across the country, you would hear the same thing. You know, Brian, we banks like us, we operate completely different from these banks that are having the trouble right now. And I mean, we take in deposits from our community. We loan that, that money back out to our uh, community. Banks like us are very disciplined. And our lending culture, we're not conservative, but we're disciplined. And uh, I know at our bank, Ryan, we're not going to change our lending strategy uh, as a result of these events this week. So you, you, uh, you're the president of this bank. Uh, Bob, do you have a board? I do. We, we have a board of directors, and they're very active. They're very engaged. Uh, they represent different businesses and uh and they, we've been together for pretty much since we opened our bank in 2004. So do you pick the people on your board? Well, it, it, was, it happened as sort of a group effort, and uh, I serve on the board. Uh, there's eight of us, including me. I'm the only, quote, insider, Brian. I'm the only one who's a part of management. The rest are independent. And we have, and I'm president CEO, but we have a board chairman who I report to. We have a board vice chairman who I report to. And I report to the entire board. So I've got a lot of oversight as to how I operate the bank on a daily basis. Do they have banking qualifications? We have, uh, of the eight, there's one gentleman who spent a lifetime in banking. He's founded and opened a number of banks throughout his career. So he comes very experienced, and the other members are all very successful business people who understand uh, 
finances and balance sheets and income statements, protocols, policies. So they've been very active and very engaged, which speaks to why uh, our bank and so many banks like us um, have been successful. So will you find it surprising that the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was also serving on the San Francisco Fed and together with the knowledge that, number one, that that happened, number two, with the knowledge they had, they still didn't foresee this type of imbalance in their balance sheets? Yeah, that's that that's very interesting. It's not unusual, Brian, to see bankers serve on the board of of, of a local uh, Federal Reserve. They do that as an effort to have a voice around the table about what's going on, uh, you know, in in the banking uh, community. So that's not unusual. But uh, what is unusual is what I think will will come out is what did the regulators know and when did they know it. I'm certain that they've been in that bank for months, that they've identified these issues. They tried to find ways to resolve them, and they were, and there were just no other options. So I'm looking forward, Brian, to seeing the details of what's been going on 90 days prior to this week. Yeah, absolutely. So the Wall Street Journal had an interesting story about how the executives at Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic – acted in the weeks leading up to the bottom falling out of their companies, including Signature. Uh, The bank's chief risk officer sold on March 6th, according to government documentation, his name is James Herbert III, $4.5 million worth of shares. Uh, $4.5 million worth of shares, saying his uh, sales is consistent with his estate planning. I'm not buying it. Robert Thornton, president of Private Wealth, sold $7 million worth of stock, 73% of his holdings, one week before all this went down, Michael Ruffler sold $1 million in January and another $1.3 million in November, leading up to this unsettling rise, sustained inflation, and high interest rates. David Lickman, the CEO, sold $2.5 million of stock in 2023, the last one on March 6th. How is that ethically not challenged and legally not questionable? Well, those are very troubling uh statistics, Brian, and and it doesn't look good, and it tells you that they knew that, that the bank and probably uh, the regulators knew that, that there was trouble, and so I think that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty evident that, that they knew things were going on well before the failures hit, and I can assure you there, there will be, there will be con- a conversation about why they did it and when they did it, and uh, yeah, I would hate to be. I would hate to be uh, having to answer to those questions, Brian. If you stare these people in the face and you know that their investments, I guess deposits, are going to be satisfied, but the people who are investing aren't. If you have to stare these people in the face, many of your friends said, "Yeah, I cashed out. I couldn't tell you, or I did tell you, and other people cashed out, like celebrities and politicians that you gave a heads up to." I just don't know how you sleep at night. If you get in that business and and you have, are you that ethically challenged? I think that just plays to all the bad stereotypes about people in high finance, uh, present company excluded. We're talking to Bob McDonald, president and CEO of Cedarstone Bank in Nashville, Tennessee. Bob, I want you to hear what uh, Mr. Wonderful, uh, Kevin O'Leary, said yesterday on Fox about regional banks like yours. Let me ask a very difficult question that we're going to have to face very shortly. Does America need regional banks anymore in an Internet age when all the banking is done online? The only thing you care about is the stability of your accounts 
And do they operate successfully? And are you able to transfer money and do payroll? The truth is, and this is tough love, I'm sorry, we don't need regional banks. We're going to move to a model that other countries have done very successfully, like Canada, like Australia, right. where you have four or five or six banks that are behemoths, highly regulated, still public. You can buy the stocks in them. But they work successfully. The most successful country in 08 was the Canadian banking system. What's your answer to him? Well, I love Mr. Wonderful. Uh, my wife, Susan, and I enjoy watching him when we can uh, on TV. I think he's very knowledgeable, knowledgeable but I do not agree with that. Uh, Brian, you're, you're, you're right. Techno or he's right. Technology has become a big part of, of banking. And a bank like us, we've got the same technology as the largest banks in the, in the country. People can bank with us online by telephone. They can make their deposits with their telephone, or they can come in and see us if they still want that. We found that these younger generations want to be a part of a community bank where they know people, and they want to see that the bank is involved in the community and is making contributions and is supporting various events and activities. So uh, I just don't see that happening because uh, community banks like us are making most of the small business loans around the country. And so you're not going to get that type of interaction or that type of support from the community or the business sector if we go to what Mr. Wonderful is talking about. Right. Uh, so you don't, you don't necessarily think our system's broken. You just think that people within our system are, are not. I mean, he just basically looked at what uh, Silicon Valley Bank was doing where they put their money, where the interest rates were and where inflation was, and said there's no way that model would work, and they never made an adjustment. And if you bail them out, they're going to be – these other CEOs are going to be just as irresponsible because they know what, whatever happens, the government's going to step in. Do you worry about that? Well, I do, Brian. I do worry about that. Uh, our bank, our number one objective – is to protect our shareholders and to protect our depositors. So everything we do, every policy we have, every decision we make takes into consideration what's best for the shareholders and what's best for the depositors. And uh, so the, this, this, the group at these banks where their unrealized loss on their securities portfolio, there are things that every bank across the country is having that same uh, issue, Brian, but there are uh, – there are strategies that can be taken that can mitigate that unrealized loss on the portfolio in these in these in increasing rate environments. And so we've had to do that at our bank, and it's worked out quite well. But uh, somewhere along the line, uh, they just did not respond to that. And uh, it's, it's just uh, very, very interesting to me. All right. Uh, Bob, best of luck. Uh, everyone at Cedarstone Bank is happy to should be happy to know that you guys are more than solvent. You're doing well. Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. You got it. Located in Wilson County in Nashville, Tennessee, pushing back on the Kevin O'Leary model. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls. I see you up there. one 408 7669 We're also got revelations about Hunter Biden. It's not a witch hunt. It's not a matter of beating up a guy who loves crack and hookers. It's about what his family was doing, led by that guy. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, right here, right now. We're happy to be here. one 408 
800-848-7669. I'll get it to Hunter Biden in a second, but I want to get see what you have to say about what's happening, especially if you're in New York. Uh, you're overwhelmed in New York City, I should say. Uh, don't expect to get across Fifth Avenue. It's just the way it is. And be thankful. There was a long time, two, two of the last three years, uh, COVID-19 kind of screwed up this parade. Let's go out to Bill. Who's on WABC? Hey, Bill. Hi, Brian. How are you today? Good. What's your perspective on all this? Are you with Kevin O'Leary, Forget the Regionals? Or are you with Bob McDonald? I live in the Regionals. Well, I kind of believe that uh, with the Kevin O'Leary angle, by having a limited amount of banks, I think the government's ability to come in and uh, pretty much shut you down financially is uh, probably more, you know, would be more common. You know what I'm saying? The government would have more of an ability to uh, take away your, your rights. I hear you. Uh, and maybe when a regional bank might not have that uh, that problem as much. But I think a regional bank, too, a community bank knows the community. Uh you know, I'm not really too happy about SBB uh, giving $73 million to Black uh, Ma- Lives Matter. Can you imagine that's this? That's kind of wrong. <laughs> I think that's sad. You know, I, I don't think uh, we should be involved in political things in the community. I think, if anything, they should be involved in helping the community expand economically. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the woke causes, knowing that some of that money is going to Nancy Pelosi, it's going to Hillary Clinton, it's going to Barack Obama, it's going this. I say, wait a second, you're out of money? You cashed out before you fell apart, and now you spend all your time trying to make, I don't know, uh, make sure you get some uh, get some leeway with politicians who are going to be in power and maybe not come after you. I mean, look what's happened with this Bitcoin guy out in the Bahamas. He's back living in his family's house, and it turns out that he cashed out right before he was arrested. Everyone said he's out of money. He's going to try to earn it back. Why is that guy not in jail like Bernie Madoff? Because he gave so much to political causes. I mean, that's the message. I believe. I hope this guy doesn't get away with it. But I was shocked to see that he did cash uh, cash out quick as well. Thanks, Bill. Let's go to... Paul, listening on the Fox News Radio app in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Paul. Uh, yes, good morning. How are you? Great. What's in your mind? Uh, well, as far as the uh, the regional versus uh, behemoth banks, um, I wanted to make a point, at least in my opinion, that the regional banks are the ones that really helped the community get those PPP loans and helped them actually get the forgiveness as well. Um, that, that helped these small businesses, at least in my community, kind of get Great back point. on their feet after, during the COVID. Um, it was the fact that they could actually go into the bank, talk to those people. Those people knew knew their community, knew the people that were coming in, knew the small business people. And it was really them that really helped them get those and get back on their feet. So I think really it's important to have those community regional banks, especially during times that we we don't know, disasters, you know, those kind of areas. So uh, Absolutely. Good point. And I want some uh... – you have a lot of people who came in and saved First Republic, which would, of course, ripple through the entire stock market. Bank of America, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, BNY Mellon, PNC Bank. Uh, they all came in and gave $30 billion to prop up that bank. So now they have uh, equity share in a local bank, which you have to wonder if you moved your money out of a big bank. They basically took some of it and helped prop up the small bank, which you just left which I find interesting. I mentioned to you before about Sam Bankman-Fried. Right before he was arrested, he secretly transferred $2.2 billion from FTX to his personal account, and five members of Inner Circle took $1 billion more before crypto exchange collapsed. 
Isn't that interesting? Look out for yourself. You act like it's a big surprise. You have no risk management, hanging out with your girlfriend, sleeping during the day, taking your Adderall, and in the end, everybody loses except you. While you use that money to get the best lawyers, and who knows how this is going to end up as you sit at your parents' bungalow at Stanford. Debbie, listen to WABC. Hey, Debbie. Hi, Brian. What, so with these big banks giving all this money to the community banks, do they now own part of that, or are they going to get paid back? I mean, how does that work? It's not a loan. What I, the way I think it is is they're buying stock in the bank, propping it up so they'll own a piece of it. That's the way I understand so it. So they're going to own a piece of it. Yeah. So they're going to own a piece of it. So listen, um, as long as they don't... You know, I guess that's the best thing to do rather than have these poor banks go out of business. Right. And and Debbie, the first thing they want to do is regulate. The first thing they say, regulation's got to get out. Well, part of the reason why they alleviated the regulation was these banks couldn't afford to stress test the way they're doing it. But what you got to do, like, for example, we just had the head of Cedarstone Bank on. They're answering to a board and they are not upside down. They're doing well. Not every regional bank is, is doing well, but they decided that they're going to go into all this venture capital, they're going to give to all these causes, focus on all these woke uh, programs, and in the end, never adjusted to the high inflation, the high interest rate, and they just slowly sunk under the wire. And when things got really bad before they announced it, they cashed out in it. To me, there should be something that should be followed through on that. Those people that lose money, these investors that lose money, should be able to go after the CEOs, the CFOs, the head of wealth management uh, for that reason. Bill, you're listening to Ocala. Hey, Bill. Yeah, uh, Brian, uh, I heard a clip last night where Biden said that it takes a while to get inflation down. It didn't take any time for it to skyrocket after he got in office. So we wonder what the root cause of it is. If you sell hardware to the government and something's wrong with the paperwork or the unit, they write you a car, a corrective action request. And that in that element is the five whys. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? What caused this and what caused that? So in Biden's case, we look at the five whys. Everything is Biden, 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 the root cause of everything. And then what they say is this. Uh, if you print the money, if you keep interest rates zero, you can't sustain that. But what happens is politically, people look around and say, well, man, this president's really helping my economy. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I can get a mortgage. I can move. I can sell my house for a profit. But you're living a lie because you're actually putting toner in printing money. So when quantitative easing takes place and interest rates go up to quash inflation, nothing seems to be affected because there's so much money in the bloodstream. But when all of a sudden people realize that money is worth less and it's sticking around and they didn't tell you the truth when they said it was transitory, the rescue plan is where people point back to. That's when we were printing money and threw more money in when the pandemic was over and the economy was standing up on its own. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. One block away from where the world is focused now. And that is St. Patrick's Day Parade, where 100 plus thousand will participate. 2.2 million will watch. And many will watch at home because things are getting back to normal. America is getting drunk again during the day. Day drinking on a Friday. 
It'll force people to get off Zoom once and for all. Uh, Congressman Steve Scalise will be with us in a matter of moments. And then uh, Tammy Pascarelli will be here. Uh, and Tammy Pascatelli, I should say, an outstanding comedian, and she'll be with us shortly. And don't forget, One Nation Saturday night at 8 o'clock on Fox News Channel. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So there was a lot of money that transferred from China to the Bidens. And what we want to know is what did China get in return? Because I don't think China would would spend this much money on this many different members of the Biden family. Yeah, and by the way, a lot of people say corruption. Biden files unearthed. Bank records show Biden, a lot of them, got millions from China. I'm talking about up to seven. The question, what exactly is the service they provided a Chinese energy company? For example, what could Haley Biden, a high school counselor, excuse me, a grammar school counselor do for $35,000? Number two. Silicon Valley Bank Financial, the overall parent, has now commenced its Chapter 11 filing. So it's gone bankrupt. That, of course, is the great Maria Bartiroma. Unethical and despicable. That's how I describe the revelations that executives had. Three failing banks cashed in before the bottom fell out of their companies. Shareholders, investors, suppositors are left to pick up the pieces. We'll discuss. Number one. I have faith in the American people. At the end of the day, the majority of the American people will understand that U.S. interests are at stake here. If we don't defeat the Russian army in Ukraine, we're going to have to put more troops in Europe, more capacity in Europe to deal with it. That is General Jack Keane, worth fighting for. The mission in Ukraine to oust the Russians is in America's best interest. Strict accounting of all material, absolutely. Replenish our weapon stocks immediately. Timetable, yes. But want right, we want Russia out and displaced, and plan on te- they plan on teaming up with China to make sure we are not successful the rest of this century. Ukraine stands in their way. We've got to support them. Joining us now, Congressman Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian, great to be back with you, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, back at you. What do they do in New Orleans? What do they do in some major cities in Louisiana? Is it a big celebration? Yeah, we had a big St. Patrick's Day parade on Sunday, and we took the family out to that. It's a lot of fun. You get a lot of produce, you know, cabbages and carrots and potatoes. Okay, good. So you you kept it under control. Yeah, it's 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 good to have it behind us. We, yeah. we made it through. Because our last guest to kick off last hour is Geraldo Rivera, and he told us flat out he's getting drunk. So that's not you. You have too much. <laughs> you have surprise anybody. No, <laughs> it doesn't. So, uh, so Congressman, what's your reaction? And I know the party's getting divided on support for action in Ukraine and how much money we're spending. And we see that uh, Senator Josh Hawley is out on that, and uh, Rand Paul wants no part of that. And more and more Republican conservatives feel that way. What about you? You know, look, I think one thing that everybody has been consistent on is let's get real scrutiny on the money that's already been been sent over. Not, I mean, not all the money that's been appropriated has even gone there. But also, are they getting the tools that they actually need? Sometimes you hear on the ground that they're asking uh, the administration for certain things and they're not getting those things. So, you know, just spending money is not uh, what you want to do is making sure you're spending what's already been appropriated the right way. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, you know, seeing Putin's army get exposed for what they are, I think is important to the world. But, uh, you know, China is still our biggest threat. And I'm not sure if the Biden administration's got the right focus there. 
And that's something we put a lot of effort in. We set up a China task force uh, with Chairman Gallagher looking into both military and economically what our country needs to be doing better to confront China. Well, true. But you see how China is all over this and they're re- re- yeah. uh, re- uh, you know, reinforcing their relationship with Russia by visiting next week. They're calling Zelensky to find out what he wants and pre- pre- pretending to be peacemakers. So you don't have to go far to see China's fingerprints in this war. No, and in fact, you just saw China uh, working out an agreement with Iran, which is not good for America or Israel. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that when, when the world stage, they see a void. And when you see failed and weak leadership by our president, the bad guys around the world perceive that and they go take advantage of it. And so weakness is never good. You know, the old Reagan adage of peace through strength really works. You know, under President Trump, you you had a, a lot of tough talk, but our, bad, our our enemies didn't want to take advantage of America because they didn't know what would happen. And so if you let the bad guys perceive weakness, then bad things happen to the world. So I want you to hear what Josh Hawley said. Cut, uh, cut 11. The truth is, is that Republicans all over the country, certainly in my home state of Missouri, know that we need to be focused on making America strong. We need to be focused on rebuilding this nation. And if we're looking overseas, we need to be focused on China. So basically, you you hear that, and I'm sure you're going to hear it among your House members and your response to your own team. Yeah, and that's why I said, you know, confronting China needs to be front and center. It's not been by this administration for the last two years. You know, you watch the spy balloon, for God's sake. It flew its entire mission before the president shot it down. He acted like he achieved something. You know, I said, yeah, they should have shot it down, but not, not over the Atlantic Ocean, over the Pacific Ocean. But the bottom line is, at home, there's a lot more that needs to be done to get our economy shored up. And we filed a major piece of legislation, the Lower Energy Costs Act, that's going to be coming to the floor in two weeks to show our country how we can produce energy in America. Again, lowering costs for families. That is, by the way, one of the biggest drivers of inflation. You know, gas at the pump still 40 percent higher uh, than the first day Biden took office. Uh, household electricity costs Japan 20, 30 percent more for energy because of these radical greenies that are running around. They fly around the world on their private jets telling you to live at live at home with a different lifestyle and drive electric vehicles that I guess they think you can plug into a tree because you can't plug it into your light socket uh, because they don't want us to produce Ameri- American energy anymore. So we want to reverse that. You do. Uh, no doubt about it. Let's talk about wh- how you plan on doing that. Does it mean more exploration, more drilling? It means all of that, Brian. So, you know, right now what you saw day one from Biden was an attack on every front on energy. No pipelines, killing Keystone, but also making it hard to move any oil through pipelines or natural gas. And so we expedite and create a one-stop shop for infrastructure like permitting for pipelines. Uh, We do more permitting for exploration projects. We mandate lease sales. Biden's just a couple weeks ago canceled another lease sale. And so it's harder to produce energy in America, and they've tried uh, by every tool to to crush American energy. But they've green-lighted projects in foreign countries. You know, Biden green-lighted pipelines in Russia. He went and begged Putin, and he begged Saudi Arabia to produce more oil. If you're worried about carbon emissions, nobody makes energy cleaner in the world than the United States. The energy secretary, you you saw this just the other day, energy secretary Granholm said that we could learn a lot from China about uh, energy, clean energy. For goodness sake, they're they're the biggest polluter in the world. Why would you want to be learning from China? We need to be bringing jobs back 
uh, including critical minerals that China is making for chips and batteries that we should be making in America. So let's make more things in America. Stop giving these jobs to China. That would help. Uh, it would seem to be a no-brainer, but it doesn't seem to be something that is possible, though the Willow Project got green-lighted. When you talk about our banking system, I'm sure you get it wherever you go. People want to know, are we watching a slow roll of 2008 all over again? Here's what Janet Yellen said. Cut 12. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. This week's actions demonstrate our resolute commitment to ensure that our financial system remains strong and that depositors' savings remain safe. Do you feel as though that was reassuring enough? She's not the best communicator in the world. Uh, Do you feel as though people should be reassured? No, and look, I mean, this is very different than 2008. I mean, that was AIG and Goldman Sachs, a lot of the very big big companies. I I was not, by the way, even back then, an advocate of this too-big-to-fail mantra. Uh, But this is also a sign of what happens when, for two years, Biden spends trillions of dollars, drives inflation through the roof. You know, they push all these woke policies, which Silicon Valley Bank was one of. uh, And then, ultimately, the, the management that was failing at the local bank and the failure, in essence, being asleep at the wheel by some of the regulators, there were a lot of telltale signs that, you know, we've got some former regulators that I've talked to that said they should have caught this weeks in advance. Uh, So we're going to be doing a lot of hearings to go and find out what really happened and why the people who should have figured it out before were asleep at the wheel. But to call for more regulation because somebody didn't do their job a month ago or two weeks ago is not the answer either. She also called for the passing of her budget, uh, the uh, President Biden's budget to help the economy. I don't know on what planet she's from. Yeah, how crazy is that? Trillions in new taxes and more spending? The reason that one one of the big reasons for this problem of Silicon Valley Bank is too much spending, interest rates too high, and their answer is to drive interest rates higher and have more spending and taxes on low income families. That's nuts. I would think so. So, what are you? What can you tell me as part of leadership is being done to uh, negotiate on the debt ceiling, which is weeks away? And so far, both sides seem pretty dug in. You guys are willing to meet. The president isn't. Yeah, and you know. Speaker McCarthy early off reached out to the president, and they finally got a meeting, and Biden was initially saying, oh, just give me another credit card in essence. You know, he's maxed out the nation's credit card just from the last two years of trillions in spending that was unpaid for. It drove up interest rates. He wants another credit card to go max out. I think most people in America know that's not smart policy. Let's actually figure out, as we're talking about how to raise the debt ceiling, how do we also talk about getting control over spending? You know, for every dollar that comes in, the federal government spending a dollar and 29 cents. That is not sustainable. And so, you know, the, the president and the speaker met once, but, the, you know, Speaker McCarthy said, we need to meet some more. We need to start working towards an agreement. And President Biden won't sit down and meet again. And so they want to drag this thing out to the deadline. And you even see it now with this Silicon Valley bank collapse. They say, oh, you know, we don't need a big showdown over the debt ceiling. OK, well, then why isn't President Biden sitting down with Speaker McCarthy? Today, uh, they should be doing it. But uh, the president just doesn't want to have this conversation because he wants to spend more money. And his budget showed that he just wants to raise taxes and spend more. That's what got us in this problem. Uh, The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and getting a different result. Let's stop the insanity. Let's actually go fix this problem. Uh, Are you going to get a new mayor in New Orleans? 
Uh, we should, uh, you know, but there's a recall effort, and, and recalls are almost impossible. As you know, they're pretty close. I'm not sure if they're quite there, but, you know, they're, they're counting the ballots right now for a recall petition, but people don't like the direction of the city. Crime's out of control. Uh, you know, you got prosecutors not prosecuting criminals. We've seen this in so many big cities where they did it, and Lori Lightfoot paid the price in Chicago. She got defeated uh, in the primary. People don't want it. If, if Chicago's saying they're tired of the far left radical policies and crime out of control and, you know, the, the soft on crime Democrat agenda, uh, hopefully that's going to be a trend that sweeps through uh, the rest of the country because, you know, that whether it's them trying to defund the police or them just trying to let criminals out, uh, you saw it that a lot of Democrats in the House didn't, didn't want to support us when we said D.C. needs to put criminals in jail when they mm-hmm. said, if you carjack somebody at gunpoint, you shouldn't serve a day in prison. That's crazy. And we passed a bill that reverses that. Initially, Biden was against our bill. Now he said he'll sign it. So maybe Biden will come around on a few of these other things, too, as we push him with a good conservative agenda. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise introducing H.R. 1, the lower energy costs, along with Energy and Commerce Committee Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers, to tackle the energy crisis caused uh, by President Biden's disastrous policies. And he hates oil and gas. So uh, good luck with that. I'm sure that'll pass. And then it's up to the Senate. Uh, to use their heads. And I think Joe Manchin will sign on to that. You just need one more. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much. Always great to be with you, Brian. And uh, y'all take care over there. God bless. All right. Happy St. Patrick's Day. When we come back, your turn, one 866 Bottom of the hour, Tammy Pescatelli. Uh, she'll be with us, too. And don't forget, One Nation coming your way, 8 o'clock on Saturday. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The money is what we're following. We're following the money that ended up in the Biden's pockets. And the the thing that every American should be concerned about is what exactly was the service the Bidens were providing. Because I can tell you what our whistleblowers have told us. They were trying to help China do all the things that this Congress is, is in a bipartisan way trying to block China from doing. They were trying to help China get their foot in the door on the American energy. But, but here's my question. Interest but, but, in drillers. It's, it's, it's so incredible that you'd be part of any Belt and Road program. And at the very least, Hunter, James Biden. And now we have the widow of Bo Biden, who is the girlfriend of Hunter Biden, making $35,000 in two separate payments. And we know that this guy, Rob Walker, has got $4.8 million, and they're without skills that you think. You know, it's not so much, well, Michael Jordan's going to make a series of appearances to grow the game of basketball, and he's going to make $10 million. Or I'm going to go into the Live Tournament in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia back uh, wealth fund is going to start Live Golf. Why are they interested? Because you've got great golf skills, so that's why they're offering a ridiculous amount of money to the best golfers in the world to make the jump. You have a skill. There is no sense that there's any skill there that they would want except for influence because Senator Biden became Vice President Biden and then eventually become President Biden. Robert, let's see on WABC in New York. Hey, Robert. I really like your sh- I really like your show for the economic issues that you bring forward. Thank you, Robert. What's on, what's on your mind? What are we looking at now? Accountability. Are we going to have a repeat of 2008 like you asked before? I don't think we have to. If the people that are in power will not enforce the law, 
then that has to be enforced against them. They have to be tried and, and imprisoned. Yeah, they, yeah I mean, you got to. And, and in case you don't know, the CEOs, the COOs, the wealth managers all got a, a sense uh, with the bike, bank's financials and cashed out weeks before and a couple of months before that all fell apart. And they knew all this, didn't share the information, got their money, and everybody else is out. We got their names, we got the money, but we weren't able to, to get, get ahead of it. And you weren't able to see that information and get your own money out. Thanks so much for the call. By the way, uh, Tammy Pescatelli is going to be here. She's an outstanding comedian, which means female. And uh, she's going to be here. She is, um, I can definitely see eye to eye to her because my family's half Italian. The rest is Irish, especially today. Here's a little of Tammy on stage offering, talking about career advice. Cut 36. And listen, my sweet young millennials, I know you're a little sensitive and I don't want to pick on you. I'm not picking on you. You have something that our generation will never have again. Hope. They told you you could be anything you wanted. That was completely different than our house. My brother told my father, I want to be an astronaut. He goes, you're too friggin' stupid. <laughs> that's not mean. That's career advice. Right. Okay? And that's the way, I hate to tell you, if you're going to be stereotypical, that's very typical in an uh, Italian household. Very blunt. You're the best. You're the worst. You'll not do that anymore. You'll do it forever. You're not getting that car. You are allowed to go out, out tonight. You are never going out again. It's always yes or no, no black. There's no gray area. How's that? So Tammy's coming up next. We'll talk about everything in the news that's important, as well as we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. We're um, 2.2 million people from around the region or fly in to be part of the celebration uh, down Fifth Avenue. And it's been taking place now for a half hour. We'll go for another five hours. People have a great time. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And now stupid is a bad word. That's what my son, my son's 11. He came home and he said, Mommy, the teacher told me stupid is a bad word. I said, tell your teacher mommy's got to leave a lot of other words out. Stupid is staying in. Okay? Besides, I'd have nothing to call his father. <laughs> That's my husband. I love him. You would love him, too. I'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, I married the hot kid from the slow class. All right? So... <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the best line ever. Uh, Tammy Pescatelli is here. Uh, Tammy's outstanding comedian from New York. Uh, you married somebody you met young, correct? No, no, not opposite. I'm from Cleveland, and I didn't meet my husband until I was 37 years old. Until you're 37? No, I'm sorry, 35. I had my son at 37. Yeah, no. I. How did you meet him? Uh, a swing and a miss. Um, I had a whole bunch of um No, he was, a, he was literally a comic at the comedy store, and I swore that I would never date comics. And through a separate group of friends, we ran into each other. It was just a stupid L.A. story. So, What you enjoy, though. This is a good story. Well, I suppose it is. It just was never my goal, like, in life to grow up. People go, oh, your career's over. Now, like, when I said I was pregnant, my agent was like, your career's over. And I go, this wasn't a ruse to get a man. Like, <laughs> this was, I put my 10,000 hour in Malcolm Gladwell. You know, I did what I needed to do. And. I tried to stay away from the Italian community, and you can see how well that worked out for Sebastian selling out right, yeah, <laughs> Madison yeah. Square Garden. Well, I mean, do you, do you know Sebastian coming up? Very well, and that, not that I before all, not that Italians type much, and uh, but 
before they all get upset. I was saying in my act, I tried to after a while stay away from it because in the beginning of my career, that's all I talked about. And then I was excited when they would go, oh, all she talks about is being Italian. I'm like, oh, you didn't notice I was a woman. <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> See, I think that I think that's a great thing. I mean, that that gets I mean, we know that we know Sebastian Maniscalco. I mean, he embraces that. Yeah. Right? Well, he came after me. So right. I was the one that took all the heat for it in the original thing. You know, it's just it's a lot of years on the road of just uh, mediocrity. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like almost I have enough notoriety and fans to sell tickets and have a couple stalkers, but not enough for security. Right. And <laughs> the, I understand you, you're almost there. And you were able to navigate Manhattan at a time in which you had the parade here. There's two million people have descended on this city. Yeah. And you still got here on time. Yeah, because I'm not Irish. Right. So I was able to work around it and I can I can be Irish adjacent and figure it out. I was. Uh, by the way, you now you have got Geraldo. Geraldo went to Cleveland. Uh, so he is uh, in Ohio, in and around Ohio, and he freely admitted to us that he's getting drunk today. Is there an age <laughs> in which, and I think, is he 78 years old? And he was hydrating on our show. So I think, is there an age where it's not okay to get drunk during the day? Uh, when you don't call yourself by the correct name. Right. That's what, like I, I, people always try to get me to drink at work, and I once called myself Terry Pescatelli. I'm like, that's why you don't drink at work. That's, okay. So it was your um, your husband is somebody who's vital to your act, correct? He is. Thank God. People say to me all the time, like, uh, you shouldn't talk about him. I'm like, no, you shouldn't talk about him. But <laughs> I have to live with him. So. And he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. He must love it. He he has such confidence, Brian. Like, he, I, I joke about it in my act, and literally, I, but he truly has the confidence of, like, a 14-year-old girl. He believes everything is possible, and he loves every time I mention him. He's proud of it. And, hey, if you want to live the lifestyle we're living, you got to let me talk about you. So here's a little of you on stage talking about your husband, Cut oh. 34. You know, I met my husband, and I fell in love with him. I mean, and I'm just going to tell you, I love, love love my husband. I'm not embarrassed to tell you. I love that man, right? And I only tell you that because the shit I'm about to say. Yes! Mm, just because you love someone doesn't mean you don't see him exactly who they are. Because on paper, if you set us up, we're a perfect match. I told you I'm 100% Sicilian. He's first generation Italian boy from Brooklyn, right? We, we're, like, we should be perfect, but we're not. Because you want to know why? He is the nicest guy on the planet. He has the hope of a 14-year-old girl, right? He believes everything is possible, and it is my job as a good wife to crush that spirit. <laughs> See? See how it comes out of real life? That's the problem with my act is I can't do 30-second increments the way a lot of these, these new people, like they have the millions of followers on their TikToks, and they do 30-second jokes. I just narrate the ridiculousness stuff. I have a brother that's living in my she shed right now. I have a lot of problems in my life, and my comedy is my therapy. So uh, what brought you to the stage? What got you on stage to begin with? If you really want to start a whole controversy, I grew up with all boys. My father was a ex-semi-pro football player, and I still could throw the best spiral, but they got stronger and faster, but they could never outrun my mouth. <laughs> right. So that's like that just happened at a time where I couldn't beat them physically on anything. But I could say stuff that three days later they'd come back and go, did you really mean 
guess so. And then you said to yourself, when enough people urged you, or you just said, as soon as you could, you're going to find a stage, and you're going to start making it in, in stand-up. No, you know, I wanted to act, and I went back to my old high school. My last special was called the Way After School Special, because in 10th grade, when I went to my guidance counselor, I said, I want to be a, an actress, and she was like, you're from here. It's a small little town outside of Cleveland. She goes, no one from here has ever been on, ever been on TV. So it broke me, but I loved stand-up, and then I saw someone, and I was— By the way, what a terrible counselor. Horrible. <laughs> I mean, a misguidance yeah. counselor, right? Yeah. If you really want to know the truth, the week before, because I was going to have her bring me on stage to shoot the special, just kind of, you know, all these Tonight Shows, Later Hour specials, all these appearances. Like, I just really, you know, kind of want to shove it down her throat to look, you know, you want to prove it, hey, right? It's motivation. Yeah. And um, because that's who, it's funny you say motivation, because that's for me. It's always goals and on to the next thing. And that's how I work. And literally, uh, she died the week before. So when they told me and I had a little tear, they were like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, I really just wanted to show off a little bit. <laughs> well, it just, yeah. I mean, a lot of times you say you want to use that person and show that person. And it turns out most of them even forgot what they said yeah. to you that motivates you. But whatever you need when you get there. Yeah. But I just think that stand-up is the ultimate meritocracy. It doesn't matter who you know. If you're not funny, if you can't run it, you can't uh, fill up a place, if you're not... If you if you're not confident on stage, it doesn't matter. Well, I think it's not a meritocracy. I don't. I think sometimes too, what what you have, the funniest don't always win. Right. I mean, that's really where we are right now. Like, I mean, I'll put up my act against almost anybody's right now. Um, not that I'm the greatest of all time. Or here's what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Two summers last summer was uh, I was in Dayton, Ohio. They were just coming back from the pandemic. They were having their own problems. They canceled the show. Thank God for that canceled show. I was very disappointed, okay? I ended up talking to Dave Chappelle. Dave says, come over to Yellow Springs. So I go over. He's got 1,000 people in a field. Dave goes on, does 20 minutes. I go on after Dave, do 20 minutes. John Stewart comes on, does 30 minutes. I'm in between two two Mark Twain award-winning yep. comedians. The volume of the laughter doesn't drop. I'm not as good as Dave Chappelle, I'm not saying I'm as good as Jon Stewart. What I'm saying is, is that somehow they've quantified their do- – like, I'm like, why do they have 300 million and I have 300? Like, <laughs> I, like how do you quantify a dollar in laughter? I don't know. And how did you get to know Dave Chappelle? Just from doing stand-up? Just uh, that was literally, to be fair, that was the first day I'd ever met him. But we had worked around circles throughout – I mean, comedy used to be small. When I first started, there were probably 20 women in comedy. I'm 28 years a veteran this year. Wow. Yeah, 28 years. So it was, I mean, I started in radio. Um, I literally did morning radio and I'd have comics on. And I did that for about three years. And I'd take them to dinner or, or breakfast afterwards and try to figure out what their tips were. And I became a house MC and then went on the road with a bunch of them and, and just kind of never looked back. And, but, and do you enjoy it each time? Like when they know, even if it's a Wednesday night with 150 people, is that enjoyable? Uh, I love what I do, but I don't love the chaos. I I made it more difficult on my life. When I got pregnant, and it's I did make a joke about it in my act because, like I said, everything comes. I mind my life. When people, where do you get your material? I wake up. But when I said I was pregnant, I was living in L.A., and my agent said, I've never seen a pregnant woman on stage. Okay? That was 15 years ago. And... The joke I said was apparently never been to a really bad strip club. Okay, ah. like I'm I'm not a dirty comic, but uh, so I moved 
took my husband. Uh, we moved to uh, Pennsylvania because I figured I have to. It's about an hour from where I grew up, and I have to be in a plane anyway. You know, I mean, it doesn't really matter where I live. My gigs aren't at my yeah. house. So I kind of – he stays stationary in a small little town. My parents moved there to help me. He lives – Small town America, and I go deal with the chaos. So here's a here's a we're going to take a time out, but as we go to break, this is uh, Tammy. This is you on for your second Jay Leno appearance. Okay, let's listen, and then we'll be back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show, cut thirty three. What happened to class? Like especially young girls are the girls are flashing their tatonies all the time. Tatoni, that's a neighborhood word for breath. Doesn't that sound like the award you win for the best cleavage? And the tatoni goes too. <laughs> You know, it's funny because it's okay. Do whatever you want. But work on your brain, too, because this girl came up to me, pretty girl, but she goes, who did your boobs? I go, God. She goes, where's his office? Well, Jerusalem, now get away from me. Don't you think if I had that kind of money, I'd have had my nose fixed first? What the hell is wrong with you? I got the money now. I just don't want to lose the joke. I'm a comic. I don't have to be good looking. I have to be funny. That's my job. Who set the precedent for female comedians? Roseanne, Paula Poundstone. I win. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So uh, Tammy Pescatelli is still here. I have not chased her away, and she has not decided to storm out. Standard comedian extraordinaire. I cannot believe I'm at, you're going to be so busy. Uh, in March, you're going to be on The Strand. Uh, that is sold out. Sold so why, out. why did I even mention that? I apologize. On the 23rd, Woodstock Opera House in Woodstock, Illinois. Mm-hmm. On the 24th, Funny Farm and, and com- the Funny Farm Comedy Club in Youngstown, Ohio. Which is safe. Okay. Yeah, young, it's, it's nice. Safe. I heard it's revitalized Youngstown. Yeah, and but by the way, like everybody was worried about Youngstown because that's where the train fell over, like five right. minutes outside Youngstown. It's safe. It's safe. That's what they're telling us, right? Oh yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, and by the way, if Pete Buttigieg went there at seven in the morning with that yeah. wonderful outfit, so I'm sure he gave it the thumbs up uh, and for the, glow sticks. Yes, that's what it was. April first at the Pace Center in Colorado with the Steve Plant Theater and uh, Event Center. And uh, Salida, Colorado. I have a whole bunch here, but where would we go to find out all these dates? I don't know. Stalk me. Pescatelli.com. Uh, or, or stalk or socials. So, or, Tammy, I, we just bumped out with, with you with Leno. Yeah, yeah. What was that like then? Where were you? You were at in Los Angeles. He was at in Los Angeles. So, then. yeah. So, that was probably – that was my second Leno. That was probably like 2005. I mean, I mean, I did I did several of them. Jay's just a really good guy. In the middle of the pandemic, I – like right before the pandemic started, like March, okay, I had two hour specials that were coming out. I was the lead in a movie. I had a, a an arc in it in Blue Bloods. I was so excited for all this growth. Like it was one of those years that, and then it shut down. So no one knew about any of the stuff, right? And I'm just laying in bed. It's like April, and I get this phone call, and 
it's Jay. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I saw your special. I can't do his voice, you know, that'd be disrespectful. And he goes, I, I saw your special. It was so good. And what's happening for you? Are people calling you, giving you offers? And I'm like, yeah, no, no one's calling. That's thank you, Jay. But you just that, be very honest. Right, yeah. yeah, no one's calling. I haven't heard anything. And I don't even think this is Jay. So thanks for the thanks. All right. Whoever did this, I appreciate it. But you don't have to mock me on top of it. And I hung up on him. And it was really Jay because we don't have that. And then he called me back. He did. He goes, call my number. But I thought it was one of my friends. Comics do that right. to each other, right? Yeah. So I don't talk to Jay on a regular basis. So, I, you know, now I do because he's a really good guy because he made sure that I came on his car show and everything else. But What did you do in his car show? You just took a ride? Well, no, no. I have a – I own a mechanics garage. So during the pandemic, I was helping change oil and stuff. I was going crazy. You're, wait, you were really good with cars? No. I mean, I'm no, you know, you Marissa Tomei Positraction girl. But I, I know enough to do a few things. You know what I mean? Like – I know my way around. I can change your oil, and I can uh, I can change rotate the tires. Is that, that for having brothers? For having brothers, my father loved cars, and just because you know what, I was on the road for so many years by myself, and that's what you did. You had a car that you drove. Like I had a leased car that I put so many miles on, I had to buy it because it would have made no sense to return it. They right. would have cost so much money. So I had to. I had all that stuff. I had. I would stay in condos with these guys. You know. I stayed in a condo with one of, I'm going to do a podcast finally about this stuff, but with a guy who was the most prolific serial rapist, a, a comedian named Vince Champ, and the FBI thought he was my boyfriend because I <laughs> stayed so much. I'm like, are no, this kidding? is just how it works. These are flop houses for comics. I don't know him. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I, well, mean, yeah. I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. Well, it really was kind of, I hate to, I'm not joking. So when everybody's at home typing with your angst. It's not funny to me, but it was very much like a sitcom because they take me aside to question me about this guy who I really don't know. You know, we would pass each other. Comics come in, comics come out. Like, that's how it worked. They were apartment building. It was an apartment that um, – but they say to me – they don't say his name. They say, your boyfriend is – is a rapist. And I was dating a guy back in Cleveland who seemed sketchy. And I was like, oh, my God, he is. <laughs> like, then it became clear that it wasn't. I was Your boyfriend. Naive. Right. Yeah, it wasn't him. He Good was just an break idiot. Up with him. Uh, that, it's so true. Um, during the pandemic, you just mentioned something to me about vaccinations being from Pennsylvania, how ridiculous it was, and the arguments that were taking place, especially with the Amish community who do not get vaccinated. That's it. That's I, I talk about in my act right now because, like, I sat back and watched the world. I'm sitting in Meadville, Pennsylvania, which is n- the hub of nothing. Okay, except for except for some tool dyeing manufacturers, some really good salt of the earth people. But I literally am hearing everybody who's losing their jobs because they couldn't get vaccinated. I mean, my husband's from Brooklyn. Do you know how many? How many of the people that he went through that were civil servants that couldn't go to work because if they didn't want to get vaccinated, maybe yeah. they had a yeast allergy. Or got or fired. Exactly. Moved to Florida. You hear all these people go to California. You can't go anywhere if you don't have your vaccination card. And I'm literally hearing this argument and I'm, I'm listening uh, in my AirPods and I'm standing at Walmart behind about 30 
Amish people, and literally they haven't been vaccinated for smallpox or polio. And I'm like, you guys are idiots. There are 17 states in this country that have huge Amish communities. First of all, they don't pay taxes, so they really shouldn't be out, out on our roads. So that's a whole other thing. But then the thing that upsets me is you they ruined the science experiment. When you're forcing everybody oh. to have a vaccination, now, whether you want to or not, it, this is not political for me. What I'm right. saying is, is the oversight in the idiocy is ridiculous. Because you used to be able to just to count on people who are in charge and you think they're experts. They know what they're talking about. It became so clear early on that they were winging it and were unwilling to admit that they didn't know. It's so funny. I will have to tell you this. I do have relatives. That right now, if you got hit by a car, they'd be like, that's because they took the vaccination. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the other way around, too. Uh, so listen, uh, Tammy pa- Pascatelli, one of the many things she's going to be, if you want to find out where to find her, you could stalk her or you could go to <laughs> Tammy. You could go to Pescatelli.com. Pescatelli.com. I mean, they were literally, you're booked up until June 23rd. Yeah, watch my then, specials on Prime. On Prime right now. Yeah. We can see him. And then we'll see you Saturday night at 8 o'clock with me. On One Nation. Is that okay? That sounds wonderful. And it's so good. We'll repeat it at 11 and then at 3. And you get to see what Tammy's like in conversation along with her stand-up. Tammy, great to meet you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for braving the traffic on St. Patrick's Day. And keep it here, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.